Welcome to Blamo, a podcast exploring the world of fashion and culture with the personalities that shape it. My guest this week is GQ creative director Jim Moore. There are many folks who make GQ magazine special, but few can hold a candle to Jim. If you picked up an issue in the last 30 years, Jim has had a hand in it. Whether it's picking the latest pieces for a season, styling athletes and actors, or hosting a video series, Jim Moore is the thread that weaves together the magazine and is responsible for creating the GQ look. Jim and I spoke about how he arrived at the magazine and worked his way to the top. We also discussed the friendships he's made along the way and how they've influenced his life. Spoiler alert, one of them is Helmut Lang. For real. All right, let's go. Jim Moore, creative director of GQ. Thank you so much for coming on Buemo. This means a lot. Ah, my pleasure. This will be fun. Yeah, yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun. So I know that a lot of the interviews and stuff that you've done, the first thing people talk about is your tenure at GQ, because I think you're at 37 years now, or 38, counting the internship. 37, 1980. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but I have to talk about it too, because it, when you think about the, the grand scheme of things, especially right now, and how so many people go from job to job, and how jobs don't always last, like you, you're here. And not only are, are you still at GQ, but like you're a huge reason why me doing this pod exists, why, you know, designers are doing what they do. And like, you're almost like Atlas right now. You got a little bit of the weight of the world on your shoulders, and I am just in shock and awe that, uh, that that's, you've been doing that. That's way too flattering. I don't know about that, but uh, <laughs> I, I tend to be someone who doesn't look back a lot. I mean, we're, we're getting ready to uh, put together our 60th anniversary of the magazine, and of course, everybody runs in my office and be like, what was it like in the 60s? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> Baby or something. Uh, but... Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's like, it, it is kind of, you know, when I'm kind of forced to kind of look back and obviously I'm very proud of my tenure here and, you know, every day that I've spent here is just, you know, pinching myself. I'm not to be trying to be Pollyanna. It's just the way I am about this job. I love my job. And, um, you know, you have to realize that I'm, I'm not sitting behind a desk and filling out charts. It's, it's an ever-changing landscape, not only... Um, publishing and, and digital media, but also just, you know, men's ideals over, you know, three decades. I mean, that's what's been so much fun about it is that you have to kind of, you do have to look forward, um, but you also have to talk about the nowness and what's happening right. in the present. Right, right. And that's, that's one of the things that, like, I wanted to talk a little bit about is there's a lot of magazines, um, I'm not naming names, this isn't about that, but that they're, they're really fighting to stay current and to stay relevant. And I think one of the things that I love so much about GQ is, you know, to me, you guys were some of the first who really embraced digital media, whom, um, you know, I feel like that you've been a magazine that's always listened to your readers and have spoken the language that they are being spoken to through everyone else. And that's just something that, uh, I, I don't know, I think maybe some magazines, maybe it's a pride thing that comes in of like, no, this is us this is our language, but I feel like you guys have managed to speak these new readers language in addition to maintaining like the GQ style. Right. I mean, it's, I, thank you. I think it's, that's a, that's a fine line to walk. I think we all just, you know, a lot of, a lot of us that were kind of born in this culture and, you know, GQ will be GQ, you know, before now and after. And I think it's, it's a franchise that, that holds, a, a, holds pretty steady 
Um, and then you need a team of people who are, um, you know, good at consistency, but also good at disrupting that message and giving us, giving a different surprise every single month. So, uh, that's a pretty easy thing when you're in the fashion business because that's what passion's based on. It's based on change. It's based on <laughs> right. turning a corner. Right. Um, so we're kind of the book that tells you how to turn the corner, but maybe don't turn it so quickly. <laughs> and we hope and thank you for your compliment that guys will come and you know use us as a vehicle to learn about you know as something as simple as how to tie a bow tie and how to get themselves ready for work, but also you know, how to change up their style a little bit and how to, to disrupt their own style message. So I think it's, you know, there's a, you know, in the master plan, it's like, I think you want that consistency, but you want that, you know, the, the surprise in a way is, is even more important. And, um, you know, we're, we're a very reader driven magazine. We want our guys to come to us for information. We want them to come to us to get confidence and how they look or, you know, what restaurants they go to or what stuff they put on their face. And I think that is our message every month. And that's something that Jim Nelson makes sure that, you know, is in every month and that it's done in a, in a new and clever way and that there's wit and um, attitude and intelligence. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, before we get a little bit too deep into this, I kind of want to talk a bit about you and your background. And so first off, from trying to do my research on you, uh, there's you're you're a tough guy to find info on. I was like, I was like, man, there's not just like this, you know, page of everything about you more. But I I found out you're you're from the Midwest, and me, yes. me also being from the Midwest, I was like, yes. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, I know you're from St. Paul. I am. Where are you from? Uh, I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. Oh, amazing. Yeah. That's, that's the true Midwest. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, think, we got the arch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think um, I've been talking to the, to the guys that run that store, Ascoff Finlayson in oh, Minneapolis. Yeah. And they're actually, their father's the governor of Minnesota. Yeah, he's, uh, I think, a Rockefeller, too. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I didn't know that, but they definitely um, have, the, uh, have the coins. Um, they're really sweet guys, and they are... You know they're working on a bill to to essentially make, you know, the kind of we call it the five state area of like you know Wisconsin, the Dakotas, Minnesota, Iowa. Call it the North because right. it really is the North. It's not the Midwest. The Midwest is down a little bit further. Yeah. And um, but anyways, I'm from the Midwest. I'm from Minnesota. And um, St. Paul was always the you know, is considered a little bit of the stepchild to Minneapolis. They are the twin cities. They're divided by the Mississippi River. They're seven miles apart, blah, blah, blah. But um, growing up in St. Paul, I always had eyes on Minneapolis and then, of course, New York City. So I... Um, and you went to school there, too? I went to school. I went to school and um, I went to grade school, high school, the whole shebang in St. Paul. And I went to... Uh, started my college in Minneapolis and then and then jumped to New York City. But um, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where I go back a couple times a year, my family is still all there, and it's, it's, oh, nice. it's, it's like, wow, this was a great place to be from. And, and uh, really, really, Minnesotans are very, are very proud. They're very, uh, there's, there's a lot of um, memorabilia, and there's a lot of 
There's a lot of lakes. There's a lot of <laughs> things to do with a lot of outdoor activities, but boy, is it cold in the winter. Yeah. Um, so There's I try also, not to go there in the winter too often, but you right. know, you really have to love winter and I have to give it to the Minnesotans because they do celebrate winter. They don't stay inside. They're outside in the yeah. 20 below weather. My uh, brother-in-law, he lives in Minnesota and he told me he's been learning about Minnesota nice, which okay. is like <laughs> some type of... of phrase of, of like how everyone in minnesota is just nice like yes. you're just super warm and and uh you know and especially you know me being from new york i'm more of like i'm on defense everywhere i'm walking I'm, right. you know i'm like playing mario andretti as i'm trying to walk up into world, one world trade there's so many like people and tourists out exactly right <laughs> exactly um but anyway like you know from other stuff that i'd heard like you had said that you always wanted to be in the fashion business and specifically you studied art right i did i studied fine art and i started studying commercial art i studied both i went to school for it and um i did have a i did have a, a couple of really amazing teachers um mentoring me and i got myself into a niche in the fine art world uh which was which was called airbrush which you know we thought thought was the medium of the future which is basically you were, you know, this is the 70s. So you probably remember all those airbrush paintings from the 70s of, you know, women's faces with yeah. exaggerated makeup and, yeah, yeah. you know, um, all of that. So I, I really liked photorealism. I was kind of obsessed with Chuck Close and, you know, even had the chance to meet him. Um, oh, wow. And got a few tips from him. So I started doing these large scale faces, um, nothing close to the talented Chuck Close, but uh, I, I really enjoyed it. But I think what really perturbed my teachers was that the faces were always models or they were always these perfect people that I would pull from fashion magazines. And oh, okay. they said they were trying to separate me from the fashion magazines because they said that's something that's really commercial and that's, you know, that's there's a whole, no future there. There's no future there. And you're in Minneapolis, you know, which is obviously a great city and it's a great, you know, world renowned for its art. But um, I kind of, you know, I kept gravitating to the to the magazine stand. I was I think I was just born a magazine person and I think from a young age I just I like to you know, I like clothes. I like to express myself with the way I dressed and, you know, it was a little bit of a you know, as I was coming up as a teenager, it was a little bit of a peacock generation with, you know, um flare jeans and platforms and all that stuff. So we liked fast some fast clothes and fast cars, but I'll be always in a very nice Midwestern way. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I did eventually say, well, this isn't for me and I want to move east and I want to go to the big city and I want to figure out what is the job? What is the, the person who actually like gets to put the clothes on people and make the pictures look the way they are? Like, right. I didn't know what a fashion editor was. I didn't know what a stylist was. I didn't know any of that. But I wanted to pursue the magazine business and I wanted to, uh, had done my research Mm -hmm. by looking at little ads in the back of Mademoiselle magazine um, and went to a school that had a high job placement rate in publishing and learned about Condé Nast and got myself an internship at GQ. So you, you literally came to New York and psh, right, you're writing the internship at GQ. Yes, while I was going to school. That's fascinating. Yes. So, I mean, and that's just super rare because, you know, so many other people I know, you have five or six other jobs that you're just kind of hustling and hustling and then hoping that like someone notices you. And so you, I mean, I would say professionally, this is like, this is it for you. Like this is what you know inside and out. 
That's yeah, I mean, I, listen, it was it was luck. It was being at the right place, at the right time. It was doing a little bit of research, well, obviously sure pre-internet. <laughs> um, might have probably into a little bit in those days. Although I was just wanted to prove myself as someone who really loved the fashion business, loved magazines, and just was willing to stay till right midnight or one in the morning packing the trunk. So when I heard about this school, and I heard that all of the alum was from you know Condé Nast or Hearst or other publishing concerns, I really jumped at it and got myself accepted. It was a two-year program. And right off the bat, they offered, you know, in the first quarter I was there, they offered a uh, internship. And, you know, there was, I think there was one at Vogue and one at Mademoiselle, one at GQ. And I just went after the one at GQ, lightning fast. And it was on the business side of the magazine. I think the advertising department was six people at the time. And, okay. Um, so I was <laughs> basically um, putting stamps at envelopes on envelopes from two to five in the afternoon. And so at five o'clock, I would, I, I went into the fashion department every afternoon, ingratiated myself with, with the uh, staff there and just started organizing their closet and packing their bags and staying as late as I had to vacuum the closet, whatever I had to do just to show them that I was enthusiastic about being at that in that aspect of the magazine. Right. Like Michael Haney, who's, who's been on this before, he talked about how, when he uh, was working under Graydon Carter, um, he would, you know, be the first in the office and he's, you know, taking care of anything and everything that he could. I, I mean, I asked him a little bit about this, but I wanted to ask you, like, how would did you say that maybe that affected your empathy for some of the like early people who have been starting at GQ? Well, I think it's, it's good and it's bad. I mean, I think that like you kind of, you, you kind of go through this and you, you know, my attitude was always like, if I pack these bags properly, if, or if I organize the sock drawer by color, it's going to give the editors the tools that they need to put the clothes together. And in turn, it's going to make the magazine look better. Right. So I never looked at it as grunt work. And maybe that's my Midwest upbringing. Maybe that's how I was taught. Well, there you go. Um, but I did love organizing my sock drawer as a kid. <laughs> and um, so, you know, I, I do put a little pressure on the assistant sometimes when they're, you know, putting something in the drawer the wrong way or whatever. So not that, you know, organization is going to make you a, um, is going to give you success. But I think if you can teach them that certain things like organization, or um, if you can, su you can support the people who are, who are creative. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying we're artists here, but it's like we do, you know, it's like to, to, to put a look together and, and make it viable to be in the, um, and worthy of being the pages of GQ and to be able to, for that outfit, uh, with some very smart text, be able to tell a guy how to, you know, wear a pair of faded jeans, let's say, and, and white sneakers, then, you know, that's, that's a big, that's a big deal. So, mm -hmm. you know, I just try to, I guess I try to take my mindset when I was assistant and try to put that on the assistants. And I, sometimes I get, you know, that glazed overlook. And sometimes I get guys who are just like, or girls that are just like nodding their heads. And, the, and then I know they've got it. And right. those actually are the ones that are the real um, whizzes in the closet. And then, and then eventually, whether it's here or somewhere else, go on to greater things. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, I know a lot of people who have been at GQ, and in a lot of ways, it's it's like a GQ University. Like when you're here, I mean, there are <laughs> boot camp, yeah, <laughs> but in the best possible way. Right. Um, I mean, that just the work ethic that you're able to, you know, achieve and learn here is great. And then also, I think you know, from any job, when you are 
working alongside someone who had your job at one point. I mean, it gives you so much inspiration to keep going when, you know, everyone has a bad day, right? right. But like when you're able to just keep going because you, you can really see the fruits of, of your labor in the future. Sure. And so, I mean, that's always been really exciting and inspiring for me. Um, moving forward a little bit, you know, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is, so every year, GQ has done the best new uh, menswear designer and it was of America. But mm-hmm. word on the street is this year is that it's outside of America. It's yes, international now. You are correct. Can we talk a little bit about that? Yes. I mean, um, again, it's, we, we kind of hit our 10-year mark with, with this program and it's something that we want to continue. We don't see it slowing down at all. And, and it is basically the, the, the young design community in menswear and right. the fact that, you know, you have, you know, the class of 2017 is as robust as the class of 2011 or 2009. So we hit 10 years last year and we decided with the gap, we decided to bring back four designers from the past 10 years. And that was extremely successful. But what it had done is it had, had changed the formula. They were all American, so we could still say best new menswear designers in America. Right. But it was the um, anniversary edition. So once we kind of broke out of the box, <clears throat> excuse me, once we broke out of the box, we wanted to keep going with, you know, changing or disrupting the message. So we were having a meeting and just, you know, Jim Nelson, a bunch of us here are just crazy about a lot of new talent that's going on in Europe as well as America. Sure. So why couldn't this year be the year of, you know, the global selection? So we actually changed the name for one season only and we're calling it um, GQ's coolest designers on the planet. Oh nice. <laughs> so we do include one uh one from America, which is Kinfolk, which is from Brooklyn, and we Excellent. have Ami from Paris, France, and we have United Arrows from from Tokyo. So we figured that was a, a wide enough uh a geographically wide enough uh, distribution of of talent oh, and sure. you know it really we decided to just keep it to three this season it's usually four uh, but boy it was a it was a hard decision because there's so many great you know and talented young designers out there um and you know we changed the criteria up a little bit obviously none of these are designers that are right outside of the box and that has never been our intention to pick a designer who's you know, working out of the garage with things on coat hangers and wire hangers. And I really love that aspect of it. I really love finding the next, you know, guy who makes great surf t-shirts or um, board shorts or, or whatever, or flip-flops. But, you know, they have to have a little bit of retail presence. They have mm-hmm. to show that they have a business plan. Mm-hmm. And um, as we try to always do is not frustrate the reader. We want to make sure that the guy can go out and find these collections uh, in the retail environment and not just with what we produce with the Gap, but they're already out there in, in retail stores, big and small. So there has to be, there has to be that behind the design, the chutzpah behind the designer right. before we'll, um, we'll put them into this program or consider them for this program. Right. And I mean, one of the things that I think GQ has always done a great job of and you've talked about this before is, I mean, so first off, one of the things you said, you were like that you will go and you like, you know, finding a designer that's in a garage as well as, you know, one who shows all in Milan. And I think, you know, with the world becoming smaller per se, the fact that I know 
like a perfect example. So Will Welch, you know, um, one of your colleagues who's the editor-in-chief at GQ Style, he is all, and, you know, also Noah, they're all about, like, the bootleg t-shirts. Right. And, and I'm using bootleg in air quotes of these people who are just kind of, like, starting their own fashion company out of Instagram. Like it's just them and a custom ink account or Mm -hmm. some type of Microsoft paint drawing. And then they're laying it on a shirt and it's kind of inspired this. Everyone can do it mentality. Mm -hmm. Like I I get really excited about that, but also I get very intimidated and overwhelmed. Like how, how are you able to, to more or less sort through that? Well, I think one thing you do is you, I mean, I'm I'm a firm believer, and I've been doing this since day one in this job, is you have to look under every rock. And, right. you know, I'm heading to Vegas this weekend for the magic show. Oh, excellent. Which is basically now it's seven trade shows. And yeah. people will say, like, why do you still go to that show? I was like, because I can see so many people under one roof, and yeah. I can see people that I haven't seen before. Or I can see how did that, how did that gene company, how are they doing? Because they, they had a lot of promise last year, but sometimes a... a a company will fall on its face a couple seasons, you know? Sure. So it's, you, you need to, um, you need to keep up with the fashion culture. You need to look for it everywhere, whether it be as something as basic as a trade show, you can find gems there or, you know, just haul ass on it out on the market and take a look at appointments or make sure that you have editors that are, that are covering everything and, and also have their, their ear to the ground. And I think that, you know, with all of that, you can pretty much cover it all. And then, of course, you're constantly checking social media for, for any rising stars. I think that, you know, in regards to the, the bootleg t-shirt guy or the guy off <laughs> yeah. of Instagram, those are definitely guys that we're going to be keep our eyes on, but it's like we're probably not going to tell our readers about them until they're a little bit more, <laughs> a little bit more established. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think there's a, there's a little, I don't like to, say there's anything that's formulaic about what we do but it's like i have to say that you know when it comes to trends or or young designers we'll we love making an announcement in the beginning Mm -hmm. uh when that trend kind of hits or when that young designer is kind of like just starting to um to sell or we're trying to get them to uh in to see some retailers we'll definitely announce it in the in the magazine um but then we'll follow up and show those trends in a bigger way when it gets a little bit more saturated in the market because again, it's like I'm I'm all about trying not to frustrate the reader. I want them to embrace the trends that we show. I want them to embrace the the way we tell them to tie a scarf or the way we tell them to wear belts now. And I want them to be able to go out and and get that product. You know, right. I don't want I don't want to report on things that are snow leopards. You know, so um, <laughs> I you know, and I think it's I think you can do both, especially in this this age of having like a really healthy website gq.com can report on things that are just you know as current as you know yesterday and today and um and then the magazine can follow up with you know kind of lab testing them and making sure that you know this is something that's that's here to stay oh yeah that's a that's a great mentality too and first off the fact that you're going to these trade shows you know especially if someone of your position and seniority I think is one of the direct reasons why GQ is still doing so well and still relevant is because you're not, you know, this guy in this ivory tower who only will arrange two looks and then is gone. Like right. that you're there and involved on that. I, and the reason why I'm trying to highlight that is because I don't think people really realize that. Like you are, you know, and you've also kind of helped shepherd 
a lot of these designers uh, forward. I know Michael Bastian, who's been on here, has spoken incredibly highly of you and how you know helpful you were to him. Um, you know, and other people like Tommy Fazio and stuff who were kind of introducing him to other brands and and you know also that GQ cosine. Holy moly, that goes a long way. <laughs> I mean that's a that's that's what we love to do, you know. This initiation with with the Gap, um, which would exist whether the Gap was involved or not, because it's something that Jim and I are very passionate about. Just putting young talent up on a up on a pedestal and and calling it out. If anything, we get disappointed if the designers go out of business after a couple seasons. But we do, you know. If you look back at you know even some designers that are super established now, like John Barbados or Michael Bastian or mm-hmm. Some of those guys, it's like, well, we will give them, given them their first spread in the magazine when other people might think it's a little bit too early to you kind did. of- You gave Michael his to, first spread. To, yeah, to, yeah, to fly that flag. So um, that's that's really part of it. I mean, obviously a lot of his instincts, I saw that collection and I was just like, right, couldn't wait to get back to the office and uh, plan the fashion shoot because it was, it was such an incredible collection filled with so many pieces that, you know, in this- incredibly crowded marketplace actually a designer was able to come up with all the missing pieces and put it in one collection and so for us that was like the formula and we're always looking for the 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 psychology behind it the thing that makes it special than everything else that's out there it's like if you're gonna if you're gonna bring in a line of t-shirts you better be ready to tell us why your t-shirts are 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 you know are different and are better and um or they're just, um, you know, it can be just about the fit of something. Yeah. One of the times that I, so I had met you once before and we chatted a little bit, but one of the things that you said to me that resonates with me to this day is we were talking about uh, personal style, GQ style, and how all that fit in. And one of the things that you said is that, you know, a lot of people can create their own personal style, but what GQ has done and done a great job of is being able to um, explain that in an easier to digest and intelligent, informative way to your readers. And that, that's some, you know, cause like I can dress the way I dress and luckily I live in New York city and no one's going to care. Right. I can just look like a complete goofball, but I'm happy with who I am, but I may not be making the right decisions in, in, you know, or like basically kind of following the GQ route in terms of understanding tailoring and understanding you know, um, the basics. And I think that's something you guys have always been able to do really well. Um, but that, that advice that you gave me has resonated with me for years now. Oh, that's cool. We, um, yeah, we we like to be, uh, be confidence givers, you know, it's like, we want to, we want guys to feel good about, um, about shopping, about buying things for themselves and, you know, stepping outside their comfort zone, but also building a wardrobe of, of, staples that work really well for them and and realizing that you know in menswear it's it's a completely different thing than women's it's not a it's a it's an industry built on um you know a wardrobe of clothes yeah and it's a uniform and whether you wear a suit or you don't wear a suit you still have to put pants on and shoes and a shirt and you know, even if you don't wear, want to wear a tie, there's going to be occasions when you have to go to a summer wedding and you're panicked because you don't have a blazer <laughs> in your your uh in your arsenal. So hopefully you can look at the magazine and the website and we can tell you, we can ease your anxiety and, yeah. and, and help you, help you get dressed for these occasions. And that's, that's kind of, 
if you wanted to distill what it is that, that we do, I think that's that is what we do. And I think we are reporters on trends. We are definitely people who follow um, designers and report on them, but we're not going to put anything in the magazine that isn't true to who we are and who we think the, and, and, or a message or a story that we want to tell our readers. That's really, really important to us. Yeah. One of the things that you all made is, do you remember the GQ rules, the, the YouTube series and stuff that you yes. made online? Because it was yes. you, Rappaport, I remember yep. Sid Mashburn was on it. Yep. Those things were like my Bible when I was younger. Because I remember watching these videos in my tiny apartment in the Lower East Side and being like, oh, this is so incredible. Right. And you had, I mean, like you all introduced me to APC jeans right. and understanding, you know, kind of how they fit. But one thing that's been really good that you've done and I want to talk to you about is like you have this uniform and you've talked about like the black Lacoste polo or the black turtleneck, but you yourself are able to see all these other designers and call out what's good and really kind of like voice that. How are you able to do that without like for me, like without like just going ham on those designers, like for myself, if I find a designer that I love, I basically ditch everything else and I'm only wearing them. Like I did some stuff with Tom Brown a long time ago. I was head to toe Tom Brown for years. Then I'm like head to toe engineer garments. Then I'm head to toe Rick Owens. But you've always had this like Jim Moore's look. Like when, when did it happen when you're like, this is my uniform and I'm going to stick to it? Well, it's interesting you bring up Tom Brown because Tom Brown has a uniform. When <laughs> you look true. at when you look at Tom, it's like he wears a gray suit every single day in a white shirt and a gray tie and either shorts or long pants. Yeah. And that is it. And he doesn't defer from it. And I think there's there's um it's kind of a quiet kind of power in that, you know, just knowing that what you're gonna wear. And also like Tom and I have had this discussion. It's like I can get really excited about, you know, a black Prada polo shirt because it's like maybe it's a nice break for my Lacoste, but it's just like and people, some people are like, but it's just another black polo shirt. But it's like, <laughs> but it's it's not the same. It fits differently. But I think I think at the end of the day, it's 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 kind of our lab coat in a way. If you ever go to Paris and you go to the the um, the house of Margiela, it's yeah. like everybody has a lab coat on. I was like, I could. If I ever if I ever stop working here, I'll go to Margiela because I can just I don't have to worry about what to wear in the morning. And, um, you know, it's like, it's, it's just kind of how I've been. I mean, even if you look back and, you know, a long time ago, I did always like a uniform. I always stuck to something very simple. I think it, it clicked with me kind of maybe in the, the late eighties or the early nineties that it was easier to, to, to wear dark colors. And I just thought maybe it was a little bit more sophisticated. I could, you know, you don't want to see me in a plaid shirt. I look like a farmer. So <laughs> it's a little bit of that, but, um, you know, I get as excited about clothes as the most foppish peacock looking, you know, stylish dude, because it's like, for me, it's not about me. It's about guys out there or the magazine right. or telling the message. So, you know, I've seen the coolest dudes dressed in the most perfect way, but if they had to put a look together for someone else, they'd be completely crippled, <laughs> you know? They're really good at like kind of turning themselves out, but it's like they wouldn't make a good fashion editor. So it's kind of like, you know, it's the uniform, you know. Right. And Grace Connington, when she worked for Vogue for all those years, just wear like kind of a white blouse to wear black pants. Yep. You know, it's just like there's a few of us out there that are kind of, you know. Will Welch has always been head to toe, black, black exactly. jeans, black truck. Exactly. Yeah. Mark Anthony Green 
came to my office once and he's like, I finally figured it out. It's like, what have you figured out? He's like, I finally figured out the gym more uniform. It's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, he's like, you have to earn it. Oh. It's like, you have to, you have to go through all of those phases where you try every single thing mm -hmm. and you just throw every trend on you. And then all of a sudden you, you, you reach a certain place in your life and then the uniform happens. Right. I don't know if that's true, but it's an interesting. No, that's, um, that's very true. I mean, way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so one of the other things that GQ has always done for me, and that's, that's been really helpful, uh, you have had fashion, you've had, you know, editorials on, on how things need to look, but there's also been a supplement of music, of culture, of um, beautiful editorials. I mean, uh, I had talked about this once before, but, uh, my father has had Parkinson's for 37 plus years, and there was an unbelievably beautiful article about uh, a young medical student whom uh, was trying to invent this type of glove that would help reduce tremors. But I mean, it was years ago, but it was written, mm -hmm. but that was in GQ. It wasn't in the New Yorker, you know, it was in GQ and it, it fit and it mm. was perfect. And I mean, you being the creative director, how, how important and how did it happen for music and culture and all these other things to fit into the magazine instead of just having clothes? Well, I think you have to really, you know, the hat's off to, to Jim Nelson for wanting the magazine to have, you know, the perfect mix every month. And what is the perfect mix? Well, the perfect mix is um, every story being completely different. So when you get done with this read, or hopefully you put it down, pick it up, put it down, pick it up, you have um, crossed into many avenues um, of your life and you've been, you know, serviced on how to put yourself together or what wine to drink, but there's also some really poignant writing. And we've had um, a lot of awards for our writing. We've had a lot of, um, you know, we do, we do kind of gravitate to the stories that really matter and the stories that, that, that resonate with, with who we are. And sometimes that'll be the coolest musician because everyone here is a music buff. It's kind of yeah. like part of, your has to be on your resume that you love music <laughs> so um that will kind of permeate itself into everything the front of the book and into the fashion pages and into an article and you know a talking head for an article um uh, a sidebar you know definitely on the website so stuff certain things like you know politics and food and wine and you know style and athletes and you know all of that will kind of converge and uh you know you also have to you have to feel for it you have to feel for the for the talent you have to you know you know you have to love that rapper you have to love that architect or you have to think that you know that's the best restaurant on the, on the planet so you know that's the that's really the attitude of the magazine and that's really what what jim nelson brings to it every month right um some of the other stuff in the in the 90s you have like or maybe it's the 80s you have like the richard gear the big suits, ultra big shoulder pads, you know, it's a double breasted, but there's only two buttons that's done. Um, and, you know, and it was like movie stars. And now one of the things that's been really interesting, and I don't know if it's social media or globalization, but it's, it's more okay than ever to be actually obsessed with style and men's fashion. You know, people have talked about, uh, and maybe it's a male thing because guys just want 
you know, validation from everyone. Like half of fashion to me is sometimes psychology, just making sure that I, I think that I look good. Right. Um, but one of the things, you know, that, that GQ has done is also, you know, incorporate this. You've had, yeah, like you were saying, like you've had rappers, you've had music, and now all these people are obsessed with it. Like you guys are, you guys get shout outs in rap songs now. Right. I mean, how do you, how is that? I guess my, my question that I've been rambling, apologies, is like, has that affected more of, of what you do day to day in terms of that all these people are, you know, you have a louder voice and a bigger platform? Like, or is, have you just been continu- continuing to go on the same type of strategy and structure? Well, yes. I mean, the, the consistency I talked about before is the fact that we will work extremely hard to put, you know, I'm going to speak from the fashion pages at this point, but it's like all of our fashion pages, whether it's a manual page or obviously mm-hmm. a cover or whether it's any of the fashion pages, it's 99% of the time it is on an athlete, a musician, an actor, a real person, you know, it is it is not a model centric magazine you know we want to talk about you know popular culture in every single way shape and form so if we're loving um you know a cert, a certain musician we're going to want to seek them out and then we're going to want to dress them so you have you know everyone who kind of, everyone who wants to be in the magazine or everyone that we select to be in the magazine has to kind of go through this mill, you know, and it's kind of like we, and we style them up and we, we collaborate with them. But for the most part, we're going to, you know, you have to come, come to the magazine to get styled. And you, you know, the two groups that, that are the most willing and able are athletes and musicians, you know, (laughs) the actors are most of the time excited about, you know, getting dressed up. But a lot of times they're, uh, a lot of, a lot of the times you, you have to kind of like, gradually talk them into something and then they're very excited about it it's so funny because most people come to gq and they're like oh, i thought i was wearing suits i'm wearing sweaters you know um <laughs> obviously it's talked out ahead of time but i think it's like there's still that whole idea that gq is the suit is the suit place um but i'm kind of a kind of swerving around uh your question a little bit but i just i feel like um that that kind of comes out of the fact that you know they you know, I think they want to be anointed by the magazine. They want to be a part of what's going on here. They they enjoy the culture. They know a lot of us. We're out and about, and you know, at concerts, and definitely dealing with all these people on a, on a daily, weekly, yearly basis. So you know, they know us, and they know that coming through here is is going to be, um, you know, a great stop on the train, and they're going to get they're going to get styled up and you know a really um a really exciting article written about them or a few just a few words written about them but they're going to get some great photography and you know i think it's 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 kind of it's that simple and that complicated so so the repercussions of that Mm -hmm. are you know you get your name mentioned in a song or you know once drake did a rap and include included my name it was like really shocking yeah, to yeah, me. That's what I was talking and about. <laughs> um you know that 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 would happen and uh but it, i think it's it's a you know it it's a trophy for a lot of them you yeah. know it's it's like especially when you work with the nba guys they're just like this is like i'll give up a championship just because to get this like cover you know this cover means everything to me you know right so and they're like more one of the things that 
we talked about earlier is how exciting it is to work here over three decades. That is, that's like one of the most exciting things is to see how willing and able everyone is to, to, to embrace, you know, the clothes and wanting to look individual mm-hmm. and wanting to, um, you know, bring some of their own personal style to it, but also willing to try like, you know, a slimmer fitting jean or, you know, a, a pattern sweater or, or, or go for something that they normally wouldn't because, because GQ. Yeah. Um, through, throughout your tenure here, I know that you've been able to mentor and encourage a lot of people. Um, and we don't have to name names, but the list is quite long. Have you, who are the people that have mentored you? And do you have anyone maybe now that you kind of talk to that keeps you grounded? And just for example, for myself, like I have a couple of friends that are outside the fashion world and outside of the worlds that I'm in. And so I can spitball with them and vent and they're able to, to be like, chill out. <laughs> or I don't know. I'm just curious. I think for me, mentors are people that I have gathered throughout my career and, and, and the strongest ones are the ones that are still in my life. And mm-hmm. I think that if you, um, even if you go back to talk about like, you know, why do I just like a palette of dark clothes on myself? It, it, had, it had a lot to do with a couple of the photographers that I used to work with in the, in the late 80s and, and the philosophy about, you know, how they kept, how to, how they kept their homes or how they, um, uh, how they dressed. And, you know, Helmut Lang was a big mentor to me just because we hit it off when he was a designer in such a strong way because our aesthetics were so in tune with each other. His, and his design sense was at such a high level, but it was so minimal. And I'm always, I've always looked to people who can be kind of complicated characters, but, but then minimalize their, their life. Right. But but the, the minimalization doesn't, you know, less stuff doesn't mean the mind is filled with less things. In, in any, if anything, it's a little bit more of a Buddhist mentality where you can, you're freer to, to, uh, to think more, you know, to mm. dream more about other things. So, you know, uh, I, I get that from certain photographers that I've worked with over the years, you know, someone like Mario Testino, someone I've worked with for, you know, over 30 years. And you know, we reconnect on jobs or we see each other personally and, and we, we, I think we enrich each other's lives. And, you know, he's definitely had an, an effect on me. I mean, he's a very worldly um, character. I met him, you know, very young in my, uh, when I was very young in my, uh, my job and, you know, kind of right off the farm. And he, you know, was this, this personality who traveled the world and, you know, knew how to you know he would always be a little bit overdressed for every occasion and i thought that was it was very charming you know and like someone like helmut lang is someone who you know i remember going in his bedroom once in his house and in in the village and it was just a rack of clothes it wasn't a closet it was just a rolling rack of clothes oh wow and the clothes were probably it was not a jammed rack of clothes it was a very minimal (laughs) rack of clothes but in that rack you could see that he had his winter coat and he had two sweaters and he had three pants and he had one suit and he had, he kind of had all the things that he needed. And, uh, I, I admire that. I admire Tom Ford. Tom Ford, someone who I've known for 25 years and is a dear friend and obviously is a, is an amazing designer, but has his, his taste level is so fine tuned and not only 
for fashion, but also his interiors and that you know, film I know, too. And film. I mean, yeah. I know a lot of people that work with him on those projects, whether it be a movie or whether it be interiors, and they're like, it's all Tom. You know, we're just kind of here to see his vision come true. But it's like he knows. He knows what kind of couch, he knows what color the wall should be, he knows what, you know, color lipstick the girl should wear. He knows it he knows it all. That's fascinating. So I'm I'm I am attracted to characters like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember um years ago working with a photographer named Dennis Peel, who is Australian. He moved back to Australia. He was a huge Vogue photographer in the days, huge GQ photographer in the days, in the 80s. And I just loved his aesthetic. I loved the fact that he looked, he went into any situation and looked at it like cinema in a way. Mm-hmm. Like if he was here and he took, wanted to take kind of a double page spread of us sitting here and four times square talking, he wouldn't want anything to move. He'd want that cup to be there. He'd want your iPhone to be on the desk. And he would see beauty in like those normal things. And then maybe the person could be dressed up a little bit um, off occasion. Maybe you had a tuxedo on, but you were in this conference room. And that was a huge inspiration to me. It kind of changed my eye as, as to how I saw things, that, that things don't always need to be in, put in their obvious occasions. Things don't always need to be put in their obvious locations. And, um, you know... The list goes on, but I think it, it's really people who have influenced me along the way. And I think to be in this business, I think you talk to anybody who's a fashion editor or a designer or stylist, is like you have, to, you have to keep moving forward. You have to look for the next thing. You have to be current. But um, the advice that you pick up along the way is, is the advice that stays with you right. and, and helps, helps shape you. Do you... Um... Do you think you can get Helmet Lang back? <laughs> <laughs> he uh, destroyed all his clothes. Well, he didn't destroy them. He turned them into art. And He's like um, in the Hamptons now, making furniture. He's in the Hamptons. And, you know, he's gone on to his next phase. Yeah. I think it was That's just, fair. it was something he wanted to do. And we, none of us wanted him to do that. We just wanted him to, like, keep that store open so we could, like, right. run there as soon as, you know, those clothes came in and... I think I still have a few pieces left. And he said something to me years ago, which has also st- stayed with me. He said, you, you will wear my clothes until they literally fall apart. Ugh. And that's exactly his, ph- that, that's his philosophy. Think God about that philosophy. It's not, it's not a philosophy that comes from like, you know, my clothes will be different every single season. It's like, you will wear my clothes until they fall apart. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's incredible. Yeah. Um, so, I, we're starting to wrap things up here, um, but there's just a couple of quick things. Uh, I'm I'm always curious, and I ask people this all the time, uh, especially if you're in New York. I mean, it is a kind of workaholic city. You're you you are your job in most cases. Like you're you're Jim Moore, creative director of GQ. But what do you do when you leave? Like, what's how do you unwind? Like, say you had the worst day. I'm I know whatever or the best day. And you want to you want to celebrate or you want to unwind? What do you do? Just just out of curiosity, I go in the GQ fashion closet and put more clothes together. <laughs> uh, what do you mean unwind? <laughs> this is my life. Um, oh yeah, I think I have a real I have a really close knit group of friends. A lot of people who aren't in the business that you know I stay in touch with. Um, I'm a tourist, so I'm at, I I keep a lot of things. A lot of people with me throughout my life, mm-hmm. and um, that's really important to me to to keep me grounded. It's a little bit Western too. I, you know, I have a, I have a 
sweet little house that I bought out in California many years ago on a, kind of on a whim that, that I get to when I can after, a few, after I'm shooting out there usually. So that's a, that's a very decompressing place for me. But, but essentially I don't need a, I don't need a lot to kind of, um, what's, what's the term kind of like rewind or, or, or charge refresh or, or charge yeah. up. Sometimes it's just a plane ride. You know, sometimes really? I just need to get to 30, 5,000 feet and, you know, I'll start thinking about ideas or, you know, I just, I need, I do need some alone time once in a while. That's a, that's a big thing for me. Right. And sometimes it is when I travel, you know, it's in, it's, it's in a hotel room or it's in a, it's in a plane and that, that, that kind of like kind of emptying out your mind a little bit so you can let new stuff come in, I think is really important. And, uh, you know, I'm super lucky. Listen, it takes a village. Uh, to put this magazine together, I have I have an incredible group of people in the fashion department, and that inspire me every day and and make me want to skip to work. So um, it's I'm really lucky. I, I I kind of set out to get the job I wanted, and then when I got it, I guess I didn't want to go anywhere because <laughs> I couldn't manage anything better, which is the truth. That's great, uh, Jim. Thank you, thank you so much for for agreeing to be on this and being so candid and warm. Um, but just the last thing is, is there any other thing you'd like to add or mention before we wrap up here? What I want to add or mention, um, no, I just, I mean, this is going to feel a little bit curveball-y, but it's okay. I was actually, you gave me a couple questions ahead of time to look at, um, which I looked at this morning and I thought one of them was really interesting because you said, what? what makes the perfect men's wardrobe. And for me, it is, you know, I discussed it with a bunch of people around here, even Jim Nelson, um, and it's really about the ability to, to purge, you know? Mm. <laughs> it sounds really funny, it sounds really funny, <laughs> but it's like, people have too much stuff, and it's like, you have to... Yeah, don't let my wife hear that. Okay, so... <laughs> No, I mean, I that's, listen, it's like, I just think, you know, the perfect, the perfect closet for me is one that you keep fresh and refreshing. And I'm all about like, you know, keep that sport jacket for 20 years if it still fits you well and you're still getting compliments. But it's like, if you don't wear something, give it away, you know, and experiment and try cool things and, you know, edit your closets and it makes you feel good. And it, that's and true. It, it makes you feel alive. and you have to be able to do that in order to in order to purchase and feel that you can you can make the next step you know and feel feel good in this you know this style war zone you know you really and i think that that's for me that's just a little bit of advice and then i i feel like another piece of advice would just be for guys to um to think of themselves as an original i mean i i think that people People certainly want to feel original when they send out their Instagram and they, they certainly, uh, um, you know, talk a big talk, but it's like really find something uh, stylish that, that sets you apart from the next person, you know, and just don't be afraid to change up your glasses sometimes, even though I've worn the same aviators for 20 years. So <laughs> my, again, it's not talking about me personally, but, but to, um, you know, the experimentation is what's really fun. I mean, playing with clothes and playing with fashion is really, 
you know, oh, it's, it's really best. a ball. It's and your armor. I mean, it it's, is your armor. And yeah. like, look, look at what we do. We wear clothes and we can kind of shake that up. And, you know, and, and, and it, I think it's, it, I think it's fun to, to have people turn their head or, or, um, or give you the compliment you never got because you never wore a pair of sneakers other than black, you know? <laughs> so I think, I think it's, um, you know, I, I think we're all kind of, and I think it's, it's, it's super important in menswear because, because the uniform is, is, is changing right. and, you know, the rules are changing and there are not as many rules as there used to be. So why not have fun breaking them? Because it's, this is the time and, and people are a lot less judgmental about what you're wearing. And, you know, if it's something really awful and obnoxious, someone will tell you, and then you can purge that piece. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, and get rid of it. Yeah. I've had, you know, I have suits and clothes that I've had from like when I was with Tom Brown that I was like, well, you know, I just want to hold on to it. And I pull it out of my closet and I put it on. And I was like, oh man, this doesn't fit. I, it doesn't fit me anymore, but I can't, some of it I can't get rid of because and I've said this before on, on other pods is like, they're my baseball cards, you know, like right. some of them I'll trade. Some of them I've given away, some That's of them good. I've sold, but some of these they're like, they're the memories of, of my life. But I, I definitely hear you in that and the purging. Like there's about 15 or 20 shirts that I just had to get rid of. I was selling stuff on Grailed. I was, you know, but I then just take all that money and use it to kind of fund the next, you know, okay, I, I might have a fall personal order coming in I have to pay for. There you go. And you've got all this room in your closet now. So there we you can go. just fill yeah. it up again. <laughs> Love that. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you very, very much. This was a lot of fun. Thanks. Thank you so much. It was right. great. Bye. You've been listening to Blamo. If you like what you heard, leave a review. It helps what others know and discover the show. Subscribe and listen to new and archive episodes on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find me elsewhere on the web on Instagram and Facebook at Blamo Podcast or send me an email at jeremy at blamopod.com. See you next week.